the game against the Clippers on TNT Tuesday night was one of those games that just kind of felt odd, if you will. The Clippers fought valiantly against our second team unit at the end of the, or I'm sorry, the beginning of the fourth quarter. And next thing you know, it was tied. And what, what happens? Clutch time minutes, 90 to 90. And literally, as we hit those clutch time minutes, Matthew, CP3, cocks back, fires a three, goes up 93-90. The Phoenix Suns go on a run, as they as they typically do. And a franchise that was once referred to as seven soul, seven seconds or less, is now five mole, five minutes or less. The five minutes or less Phoenix Suns close out the Los Angeles Clippers win the game by a final score of 103 to 96 and move to 47 and 10 on the season, dude. It's good. And I think Shaq had the Suns losing tonight, I think, right? Of course he did. What is okay? I won't even get into it, but it's just it's, it's funny a great question, though. He won't he won't let up with the Suns. He hates the Suns for some reason. I don't know what what's going on in his head, but yeah, five mole. I don't know if I can get on with the mole thing. The mole thing kind of grosses me out a little bit. I don't mind moles are fine if you have moles, but I just don't like saying the word really. I don't know why. Mole, 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 mole. mole. <laughs> well, no, it's you know it's five. The five minutes or less, sons. You know, we, for all those years we refer to this team as seven seconds or less. And you know, shout out on Twitter. Uh, God, what was the name of the the guy who? who said, I saw it during the game and I, I tweeted at it. And I'm just like, hey, man, like I'm going to be using that from now on because I think that's a, a perfect way to truly describe what this team is, is they're the five minutes or less Phoenix Suns. They, in the last five minutes, y- you can't beat this team. They're just, they're, they're too uh, devastating and they're too precise. Uh, it's at Nipstick on Twitter. He I saw it and I'm sure that somebody else has used it before, but five minutes or less Suns, I mean, I think it per- perfectly personifies who this team is. And you're right. I don't know what happened to Shaq while he was here in Phoenix, but he it, it's so funny how he's sitting there talking about how the Clippers are going to win this game. And they're talking. And then you got T-Mac on the halftime show saying that, you know, Ty Lue should be the, the coach of the year. And it's just yeah. like, yeah. Does, are, does anyone watch the team that's beating them at halftime <laughs> and ultimately wins the game? It's like, it's just no credit will ever be given to this Suns team. You know what, Jamsters? Mm-hmm. I think that's just the way that it goes. Yeah, but also I kind of like Team Mac. I thought he did a pretty good job. I think he's better than D Wade on that panel. Um, but the I guess it's funny because we'll always bring this up. I think before we start every podcast, it's just what these commentators are saying, especially when before the tip off, they're talking about this is a healthy squad that's been together all year, or whatever. I'm it's like, like have. Have, have you anyone not? done any yeah. other research? Yeah, like missed eighth, games, third game Booker's back, missed games. Game back. We have no backup backcourt at all. Like Cam mm-hmm. Johnson, or I'm sorry, campaign has missed the last 11 games. Landry Shamit, good, bad, or different, is considered our backup two guard. <laughs> he hasn't played. Yeah. COVID ravaged us, and we just adjusted. But again, no one. This healthy squad, this beautifully healthy squad, good for that. It's like, ah. <sighs> And this one, it's like you're you're right, Matthew. Every time the game's on national television, we're gonna have these conversations because we will, we will always get plighted. Uh, and I don't care because we're winning. You know, plight us all you mm-hmm. want, man. Forty-seven and ten. Let's go. Yeah. No. I'm. I mean, I'm just. It's a beautiful feeling right now, man. I seriously yeah. don't even know what to say anymore. Well, I'll say this: 
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Suns Jam Session podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. You can follow Matthew on Twitter at Matthew Lissy. And you can follow the show at Suns Jam. If you're watching along live on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, please hit the thumbs up button. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and do all of that good stuff. Matthew, what are you drinking tonight to celebrate this amazing win over the Los Angeles Clippers? I have my big jug of water tonight. And oh. you got water too. Well, you know, I think I'm going to have to. It's a little to... late though. Lagunitas, oh. little something summer ale. Let's okay. do that okay. instead. Funny All story. Right. So I go to the Safeway here in Folsom, California. Because yes, Jamsters, I am once again in Folsom, California. And I'm looking for, you know, just a couple beers to smash for the podcast. We got a game today. We got a game tomorrow. I'm going to go ahead and ha- buy two beers. Every beer that they have here is an IPA. Every one. Is it, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, give me something different, man. Change it up a little bit, but whatever. <laughs> they don't even Beggars have Budweiser, like Bud Light. Not, not like single cans. Like this is obviously oh, this, okay. this is a big daddy can. That is uh, a big daddy. Yeah, total ounces. It's a pint, so it's sixteen ounces. Uh, so cheers. Let's crack them if you got them. <laughs> Let's talk about yeah another victory for the Phoenix Suns. Five minutes or less, Phoenix Suns indeed. 103 to 96 is the final score tonight as the Phoenix Suns do what they do best, completely and utterly dominate in the the clutch time. Which brings me to my first question. Matthew, I got to ask. Matthew, I gotta ask, you know, right as this podcast was getting ready to go live, our good buddy, Coach Evan B., uh, the host of the He's on Fire podcast, reached out to me on Twitter. And he says, my God, I just realized we close games like the vintage Spurs did against us all those years. Monty learned a lot from Pop. Do you see a lot of those old Spurs in this version of the Phoenix Suns? Yeah, you know, I do. I mean, I feel like it has to start with teams really believing in themselves that they have a chance, right? I mean, the tempo that that, that the notch they go up, the Suns do in the last five minutes, it's just to another mark. It's not even just one notch. It's just like, it's it's like 11. You know, you, you set your amp, it only goes to goes to 10, but they, <laughs> they crank it to 11, right? A little spinal tap reference right yes. there. Um, that's what they do, though. They... They play in a way where you can't match that tempo. As soon as it hits, the other team is struggling to find a way to even defend them. And the way that the the Clippers were playing tonight, their defense was just the pressure they were putting on the Suns was just all, all, it was basically all game long. It was very hard for the Suns to get any shot off over them. But then, of course, when the five minutes hit, the Suns have a little extra in them. They have a little extra step. They have a little extra boost when they lift off and get those jump shots over these long, stretched arms of the Clippers. And that's just what they do. It takes a little bit more effort to get where they want to go tonight. Like tonight, the Suns, usually when they close these games out, it doesn't look as difficult as it did tonight. But they just they had that extra boost in them, again, just to get the job done because you know, the Clippers last night, won a big game against the Warriors. They're going to come in here. Like, we can knock these two top Western Conference teams off. And they almost did, but the Suns just had that extra boost in them again. 
against yeah. a really good defensive team. Yeah, and, and it was a great defensive team. We noticed it all night long that they were playing the Suns very differently than a lot of teams play the Suns, especially in just a regular season game. You know, the way that they're executing drop coverages, the way they're blitzing Devin Booker, the way that they would drop into zone for a few possessions, the way they would drop into zone for a few passes and then go into man-to-man midway through a possession. This is very high-level defensive stuff that this team can do. This is These are things that we know that when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard return, whether it's this season or next, is going to make this an, un, an unbelievably versatile and difficult opponent. Can the Phoenix Suns beat them when they're healthy? I truly believe so because we can execute as well, and we proved that in those last five minutes. We truly have an identity in the last five minutes. That's why this team is now 23-3 and three in clutch time moments. And we've talked about it before, but you know when you have a two-headed monster like Chris Paul, like Devin Booker, you can really start to dissect the opposing team and you know again having chris paul on one play go down and throw a lob to aiden and then the next play wait just long enough for the defense to commit to defending the lob for aiden so he just you know banks it in uh it's it's really hard to defend so the entire game for the phoenix suns is let's get it to five minutes and if we're blowing them out we win if we are down by even 10 points, we can come back because we know we can execute. They save all those good, juicy plays for that last five minutes. And, you know, as a lot of the Jamsters are saying in the chat, the way that the ball moves around, that is probably most likely why I think this team mirrors those San Antonio Spurs teams that uh, that Coach Evan B referenced. It was the they could kill you in so many ways. If you go back and you think of those moments in which the San Antonio Spurs defeated the Phoenix Suns in big games during the clutch, you can't go, oh, it was Manny Ginobili every time, or it was it was uh, Parker, or it was Duncan. They all had took their turns beating us. And then every now and then you'd have Big Shot Rob or another role player hit a shot that was, you know, ultimately decimated our will. And that's what this team has become. So again, Monty Williams, who has that history with Pop, is it a direct correlation? Yes. Is it a, a product of? Probably not. You need a Chris Paul to execute this. You need to have a cold-blooded killer like Devin Booker. And you need to have the role players like Mikael Bridges tonight, who, who for the first time this season hit a three during clutch time uh, to execute that vision. But again, coming, you know, even to be compared to those teams, whether we like it or not, as Suns fans who hate the Spurs, uh, we have to respect those teams and what what they did and how they did their business. So, again, and if you know, to be compared to those teams is something that uh, we should definitely be appreciative of. Yeah, it's not a bad thing, uh, no matter how much we do hate them. But the way that they used to beat the Suns, it was basically you know, hitting big shots, always, always the big shots. It was like, oh my God, like they missed that earlier and then they got everything they wanted in the fourth. That was the Spurs. That's the way the Suns do it now. And I don't know if it's the energy or what, but like even today's game, you saw like the balls weren't really bouncing the Suns way. Like the shots, they were kind of just short-armed a little bit. They were in and out. A lot of that was happening. We've seen this sometimes this season where the ball won't really bounce the Suns way. And then just the energy that just they they get themselves up to in the last five minutes, then the ball starts coming their way. They start getting the alley oops that wasn't even there. I swear, like these these alley oops today's game were just the nastiest things to look at because none of them were really hitting McGee in the hands. A lot of them were just like hitting the defender, whoever was guarding them. The double team would come over, yeah. and Chris Paul would still throw it up, but it wasn't there. 
and all of a sudden you get one like wide open and with five minutes left you know what to, to da that hasn't been there all game long like there's other things they're doing on the court to really detach themselves away from the clippers defenders in a way to where i don't think the clippers really knew what hit them and i think a lot of these teams when they go up against the suns in the last five minutes they'll leave the game like what the hell just happened you know we were cruising we were playing the defense the way we're supposed to be playing uh, Booker just started hitting difficult shots. Then you saw Mikael Bridges, another guy. Like these guys, they kind of just flip. They they take turns. And Mikael Bridges is, of course, another guy that's just he's taking it to himself to make sure that he can be that third or fourth guy when needed. Yeah, and again, you know, this is the first time that we've seen him step up in the manner that he did during the clutch moments. You know, but the way that he played in the third quarter, I mean, he just came out. And- He came out and earned his drop in that third quarter. And I think it was a key stretch for this team uh, that, you know, it put them up pretty substantially the way that he played. And you you look at how uh, McHale's third quarter went. He was five for six from the field and scored 12 points. And he also had four rebounds. So his contributions tonight, you know, you you take that third quarter, you throw in the three at the end. He ends with a total of 19 points on eight of 14 shooting, had nine total rebounds, something we're not necessarily used to seeing from McHale Bridges. Uh, But he was a key cog in the success for the Phoenix Suns tonight. And you mentioned, you know, the, the defense for the Clippers was super engaged. And, you know, when Chris Paul was trying to navigate those those uh, lanes early in the game, as you mentioned, you know, not everything was there. And, you know, you got to give Zubats a lot of credit for the way that he played tonight, right? I mean, he was, he, he was playing physical. And in my opinion, you know, at least especially in that first half, he was really, well, the, the first quarter, I'll say the first quarter, because I think the second quarter we saw DA come out and really start to impose his will a little bit more and realize like, okay, I have to play physical in this game if I want to, you know, essentially be effective in this game. Uh, but Zubats in the first quarter alone comes out and scores for the Clippers uh, seven points, has eight rebounds. He's beating DA to his spots. He's playing more physical. And that was kind of this entire Clippers defense, right? Yeah, you know, I I was writing like a timeline with Zubots, the way he plays these games against the Suns. Uh, so break us down. What's in, what's in your timeline? <laughs> so the timeline for Zubots, it basically goes like this. I don't know. It's not even that funny, but it's uh, basically first quarter. Every time we play against them, it's like, Oh wait, do we have to worry about this guy? Then yeah. usually, usually second to third quarter, he just gets no respect from the refs at all. He is getting torn apart by DeAndre. And like, okay, usually I don't talk about the ref stuff. And usually, like, I don't want to really side with the Clippers or anything, but Zubots does not get any respect from the from the refs. And it gets to a point to where he tries so hard in the beginning, then he basically kind of just doesn't get the calls. He gets super frustrated. Then he just is like missing towards the end of the game. And he's just like somewhere in a ditch. That's like his timeline. Every time we That's play. That's so him. funny. <laughs> I swear. I think he's going to be an issue. Deandre doesn't get things going to later in the game, but even tonight, I think Deandre kind of just couldn't really find his way in the paint, but Zubat, seriously, like this guy, <laughs> it's just cracks me up every time. And I kind of feel bad for him sometimes watching them. I'm like, dude, get this guy at least a couple calls. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's funny though. You're right because it feels like every time we play the Clippers, Zubats comes out. He's physical. He outplays DeAndre Ayton in the first, and we're like, "Ah, oh, shit, man, he's gonna crush us in this game." 
And then that's kind of it. Cause yeah, you know, again, <laughs> yeah. his first quarter, as I mentioned, he had seven points and he had eight rebounds. He ends the night with a total of 12 points and 13 rebounds. So only five more points, only, or I'm sorry, only six more points and only five more rebounds on the night. Yeah. He just kind of disappeared, I guess, you know? And, uh, that's funny. That is, you know, I, I guess I've never really <laughs> thought about it on that timeline. Cause that's exactly how I felt yeah. watching him tonight. You know, uh, Another guy, obviously, for the Clippers who was definitely engaged, uh, Marcus Morris. Never forget who Marcus Morris is. And kudos to the fans, because based on everything I was seeing on Twitter, our fans are educated. They were booing Marcus Morris every time he had the ball. Uh, He ends the night shooting my favorite shooting percentage from the field. 10 of 17, 23 total points for Marcus Morris. Uh, (laughs) And and if you look, you know, I, I looked it up. His total, you know, he averages 17.6 points per game against the Suns. You'd be correct to guess that that is his best versus one team. As the Sixers, he averages 15.2 against, and that's his second best. So he averages a full 2.4 points more than any other team that he's ever played against. Uh, It's the Phoenix Suns. He's a guy who gets up to play against this team. And he was he was giving us fits there for a while, Matthew. Yeah, he hits like ridiculous shots every time too. It's never anything. Well, I think what was it last game or maybe in the playoffs he was really abusing us like on the post. I don't know if he was doing that, but he usually always hits. Crazy. He did a few times. He would back down Devin Booker in one on one switches. Yeah, wasn't was that in the playoffs? Or was it That's this in the year? playoffs? Okay, yeah. So that was happening. I don't know. I thought I was dreaming about that. I don't know why. <laughs> Just be confident, Matthew. You know your shit, right? Um, <laughs> but I think Morris the way he is when he hits those threes too, like he feels it from the fans. Like, I think that's a big thing to get enough for him. And a lot of times, and especially in the season, like what do the Clippers have to really play for? Right. I mean, they're probably not gonna get their superstars back, but Morris can have the ball more and he can do basically whatever the hell he wants out there on the court. And like even making that three where he, I think it was beating the buzzer and it was right before the 24 second shot clock went off. He drilled the shot, ran back down his defensive play. He was like, Oh, I'm into this now. He overplayed on defense and Chris Paul burned him and hit a shot right in his face. He's like, all right, never mind. You know what I mean? That kind of killed (laughs) it right there. But he always hits like the big, huge shots against the Suns and you kind of just got to wait it out. That's the way these Clippers teams are. It's just like, you have to kind of wait out these little hot streaks. These guys go on and he's always just, he's always going to be one of them and i'm glad the fans remembered especially in the chat that yeah we no this guy <laughs> yeah as uh some of the the jamsters are reminding us you know fabio in the chat says go ahead and look at his plus minus he was a minus 17 in this game so you know i don't know how much i believe in the plus minus it just shows you that maybe he was good but everyone else on the court sucked with him on there and you know whatever yeah. the result of that is the result of that he was the worst on the on the team with a, a minus 17 in this game but you know I, i'm just like any regular warm-blooded Suns fan I can't stand Marcus <laughs> Morris he's top five probably players that I can't stand in the NBA maybe top three uh, it's a list that I really need to sit down and think about and I know that for those of you who watch the podcast you can probably or listen to it or listen to it you could probably guess who my top five are but he's definitely there and, and one of the frustrating things is he actually performs well against us and it, there were those moments in this game where you're just like, oh, come on, man. Like, how is he hitting these shots? And that's how I felt about a lot of these shots from the Clippers throughout this game is the Suns defense wasn't horrible. I mean, they played some really good contesting defense and the Clippers were making some tough shots. But over a long enough timeline, if that's the case, if you are contesting every shot and you're making everything difficult for the opposition, 
the law of averages kind of comes back into place and those shots stop dropping. You know, overall, they shot 41% from the field and 28.6% from three, uh, 10 for 35 from three. So they actually outshot the Suns who only had eight three-pointers. But again, I think that they, the law of averages caught up with them and the execution in that last five minutes, because you don't have a Kawhi Leonard, because you don't have a Paul George, you're going to falter in those situations because you don't have the leadership and the consistent players out there for execution purposes. And that's what makes the Phoenix Suns so great. It, it does. It, like we talked about Mikhail Bridges being that other guy too. And like, that's just what teams don't have right now. A lot of them, especially due to injuries. Um, mm-hmm. So a team like the Clippers, when they're trying to, you know, they're basically like when the Suns play, was it the Rockets or who do we play where the team almost came back and won? Like the last, oh, the Bulls. The Bulls almost came back. Yeah, their a couple bench, weeks their ago. Bench, yeah, their bench came in and got hot. It's like basically, you know, we're playing a team that's a lot of these guys should be coming off the bench. So mm-hmm. they can only last for so long. Whatever happened against the Warriors last night, um, I was watching some of that game and most of it, but a lot of that was just the Warriors just dribble, dribble, shoot, dribble, dribble, shoot. It yeah. wasn't a whole lot of passing, moving the ball and stuff. So a lot of that energy I think that the Clippers had saved from last night was due to basically the Warriors offense just being really painful to watch and just kind of a lot of standing around. So the Suns had to switch it up and they kept moving the ball around all this shit. And then they just couldn't keep up. No, you're, you're right. And that, that brings me to this. Event. Twitter Twitter So Matthew, I saw someone post this on Twitter and I'll ask you this question and maybe, you know, the Jamsters who happen to be watching along live in the chat, they can give their thoughts on this too. And I forget who this was. uh, So forgive me. It might, it might've been Mike V Hill from the timeline podcast. It might've been uh, the four point play, David Klein, who does uh, a great uh, uh, article on Substack. It said that, you know, after, or it might have been just someone completely wrong, and I'm just name dropping people that I thought it might have been. But they said that the Warriors are closer to the Lakers than they are the Suns after watching last night's game relative to oh. the way that they play basketball. What, what do you think about that? No, I mean, we knew that the way the Warriors were playing, and plus they're missing Draymond. Draymond Draymond's a big facilitator in the this middle is there true. for, this is very for true. everyone. He's very underrated in that way. Well, I don't, people know that, but they just, you know, they, they just think defense. But no, he does a lot on offense. Of course, he can't shoot the ball, but missing him is huge. And we know Steph Curry, as good as he is, he can't be the facilitator, the guy that can take over a game to really get teammates involved. I think they're, they're fine. I'm not worried about the Warriors at all. I'm actually... I thought this was, was going to happen. I thought they went on a little winning streak when Clay came back. Then mm-hmm. when Clay w- gets more into rhythm towards, I mean, after the All Star break is ended and he, they come back, play a couple weeks, then you'll see. I think a Warriors team that Draymond can come back and be healthy that is going to be a pain in the ass to, to beat in the playoffs. So they're heading in a different direction where they have positives. They have you know Clay Thompson and they can be healthy. The only thing was with the Lakers, it's like you have these guys on the court. One of them's not playing crunch time, clutch time. And it's just, that just goes to show, like, I feel like Anthony Davis, are we talking Lakers right now a little bit? I feel like Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you know, are on their their own little, yeah, they have their own little team together, right? They're on their own, they have their own agenda. And basically Westbrook's left out. So that's, I feel like it's just totally different from what the Warriors are right now. Yeah. And uh, thanks to Al, 
Alberto Sauce Chips. He said it was Zin Varlock who said the Warriors are closer to the Lakers than the Suns. Uh, yeah, you know, I think, again, it's an interesting observation because when when you say that a team is closer to the Lakers, you're saying that a team, essentially the way I, I take that comment and, uh, you know, kind of transmit it through my head and come out the other side in the mouthpiece is uh, that they're just inconsistent. Because that's what the Lakers are. They're inconsistent across the board. They're inconsistent the way they play basketball. They're inconsistent game to game. And the Warriors, as you mentioned, you know, they're they're a little more inconsistent. You know, the Suns now hold a five and a half game lead on them with at least for the Suns. I don't know the Warriors schedule with one game to go until the All-Star break. We play tomorrow against Houston, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you say that, if, if that's what your comment means, then yes, I agree with that. They are close to the Lakers because the Suns are just so damn consistent. But I think that, you know, as you mentioned, not having that major piece, a piece that will return, uh, they're trying some different things out. And they're a team that shoots a ton, and you know, especially from deep. And they're going to kind of live and die by the three until Draymond gets back. And you see a lot more facilitation and you see a lot more of the uh, the execution of the, the, their true offense. Right now, they're, they've got a comfortable lead, you know, where they're at. They're, they can experiment with a few things and try some things out. And again, credit the Clippers last night because of the way they play defense. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, they're a team that's very unique in the way that they play defense and can really take you out of your rhythm. As, as we saw tonight against the Phoenix Suns kind of right off the bat, you know, that first quarter, the Phoenix Suns were trailing 26 to 22. Uh, we came back in the second quarter, scored 31 points to their 21 to take a lead, uh, went all the way to, you know, about, 80 something when they took it back. But I mean, still, I really think that, you know, the, the Warriors are a team. We still obviously have to continue to monitor. And we will continue to monitor and see how they're playing and, and hope that, you know, when, when the time comes, we're playing better than we are. So um, another thing I want to talk, you know, real quick, we did talk about Mikhail Bridges. He, he, he was cooking as the third in the third, as I mentioned, he was really impressive. There was one play where he played defense on Luke Kennard. Did you see this play? Where Luke Kennard like pump fakes the ball, he's on him. He pump, you know, so he goes to another spot. He pump fakes. Mikhail's in the air. He tries to swat it. He pump fakes again. Mikhail, who's already you know kind of committed to one pump fake, is turning around doing another pump. I mean, he's just Mikhail Bridges is so versatile. And you know, I, one of the things that I find uh, interesting in the way that he executes his defense is. Uh, you know, especially when you're playing these teams that have wings like the the uh, uh, the Clippers have, when you have switches the way that the Clippers try to run against the Phoenix Suns, Mikhail Bridges it almost benefits him because of their wing players. They don't have they didn't have any explosive guys out there. You know, you, you have Reggie Jackson who. I don't know. Reggie Jackson just doesn't scare me at all. And I feel like he'd be the one guy who should, you know, he had 14 points, but he was seven for 26 tonight. And it's because he lacks that of, of uh, explosive first explosive step. And Jason Joyce says it in the chat, he goes, Reggie Jackson needs to take a lap, Matthew. So, you know what? I think it's time that we go ahead and remind Reggie Jackson to terrible. Take a lap. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, Mikhail Bridges playing the kind of defense he does what makes him so effective against the likes of a Reggie Jackson and, and, and the Clippers team? Um, well, he just never gives up, really. And you saw a lot tonight where in the third quarter where he never gave up on the screens and he kind of took the ball from behind these guys, right? He had the deflections that led to two fast breaks for him to get runaway dunks. 
So I think it's just him never giving up on the plays and just, of course, his length. But what the guys don't expect is like, hey, you get by Mikhail, maybe I can, you know, put up the jumper, you know, like the pump fakes earlier. But he's yeah. there. He can just he appears in front of you. If it's not him full body, it's it's a piece of his arm. Something <laughs> something is like in these guys' way to get to where they want to go. Um, of course, that's it. But honestly, I think when he hits a point where the defense is leading to his offense and he gets super excited. Now he's like more emotional now yes. offense. He's just celebrating so much where I think Booker and Chris Paul, mom and dad of the team. I don't know if they like it too much, but we'll let him have his fun. I think he's had a great week with the Rams winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, but, true, true, true. Yeah. When that leads to offense and he's hitting like the corner threes and stuff, then his defense even picks up a little bit more. So it's just it's hard for I think the opposing team to realize like hey we got to kind of guard we got to guard Mikhail on the defensive end and then he's coming back down to guard us and there's nothing really we can do to get rid of this guy I mean especially a team like the Clippers where they don't have the superstar that can really create their own shot you know oh and they don't have that so obviously it's gonna be more difficult for them to get away from him which a lot of teams can do like if you have the Steph Curry and um Usually, I think the last time we played the Warriors, Steph Curry and Draymond, but Steph Curry can easily get away from Mikhail Bridges, right? Well, so good, like John Morant, guys. John yeah. Morant, you know, another explosive guy. So yeah, you're right. They they don't have those guys uh, no. who could who they can you know escape the the warden, if you will. So uh, again, I just want to talk a little bit about his defense because it continues to impress me. And we'll talk a little bit about his uh, defensive player of the year standings a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, one guy who's new to the team is going to get his first drop officially on the Suns Jam Session podcast. You got it. On That's right. Aaron Holiday yeah. officially gets his first Let's drop tonight. Let's Green go, Day, Aaron. Huh? <laughs> Little American <Green>. idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, he only hit the 1-3 tonight. <laughs> I, just, I, <laughs> yeah. I got so excited when he did. And I, it's the energy he brought in tonight, you know, was really welcomed. He played a total of 10 minutes this evening. But, you know, it, it, it brings up the question, you know, because you saw Holiday and Peyton playing together. Yeah. Right, which which was great because it let both Devin Booker and Chris Paul get a little bit of a rest. Uh, ultimately, Devin Booker ended up playing 35 minutes, or I'm sorry, 36 minutes. Chris Paul played 35. So if both he and Peyton were more effective in the third quarter, those numbers would have dropped pretty sub- substantially, or sorry, the beginning of the fourth. But that's when the Clippers came out and kind of boat raced the Suns. Uh, and, you know, went on like a 12-2 run or whatever it was, and they had to bring back Booker, and they had to bring back Paul. Uh, but Aaron Holiday, you know, seeing those lineups and seeing him give an opportunity to play next to a fellow point guard like Peyton, my question is, could this be what we're seeing moving forward, even with Shamit back, where it's campaign and Holiday, or, mm. you know, or Alfred Peyton, you know, if campaign mm. isn't back, and, and Aaron Holiday, do, do you foresee that happening? Yeah, it's weird. I don't know if Payne will even get any minutes with campaigns. That's always a question, right? When Payne misses misses games, it's just like you see Alfred Payne out there taking up his minutes. But then when when Cameron Payne comes back, you just know like Payne's not going to get those minutes. I don't think. And I think that it's not something we have to worry about too much. But I liked the way Payton and Holly were playing defense because obviously in the second quarter. The the offense was just atrocious, even from the bench. No one can really find a bucket, but their defense made up for it, right? Them two, you know, guarding the backcourt. 
they made a difference just enough on the defensive end to hold that lead. You know, that's what Chris mm-hmm. Paul wants. He wants to still have the lead or have be a tie ball game. When he leaves the game, he wants to make sure it's basically where he left off or even better. Yeah. Um, that's what they did tonight. And I feel like they can do that. And it'll be interesting to see like if they continue to do that without pain, like this tomorrow night, I'm sure we'll get the same kind of minutes. Yep. If they can continue to do that tomorrow night and then pain comes back later on, I don't know when he comes back, but how is it going to affect the Suns defensively? I know Payne's good defensively, but Alfred Payton, of course, is known for more of a defensive guy if he doesn't have to score, right? And then also these two together, they just made sure that they made sense out there on the court, at least defensively. Well, and that's where I wonder if even when Payne comes back and you're looking for, because they'll probably ease him back in. I mean, why wouldn't you? You have the guard depth now to do it. But even when you bring Payne back, I feel like Holiday, it will take some of those Payne minutes because... Yes, Payne is known as the defensive guy, but look at what Holiday did tonight. You know, he comes into the game. He has a uh, a lob to McGee for a slam dunk. He hits a pull-up yeah. three, and then he blows up an action from Kennard and then another one to force a turnover. So Payne, or I'm sorry, Peyton. This is tough. I know. All these <laughs> goddamn Peyton, Pe- Elf. We'll call him Elf. Elf does is known as a defender but you don't feel the the problem that we always have with Alfred Payton both on offense and defense is you just don't really feel his presence whereas Aaron Holiday the hustle he provides the chaos that he almost brings on kind of both ends of the floor uh is it, you feel it more and so obviously we're going to be it's more like a magnet we're going to magnetize to the actions that he uh has when he's playing and I I feel like that's something that the Suns are definitely going to be experimenting with in the second half of this season uh, second and by second half, I mean like the last twenty something games after the All Star break. But I think it's something Monty Williams is definitely going to experiment with because you know again, Alfred Payton, as much as as effective or ineffective as we think he is, he is what he is. Aaron Holiday might bring us obviously he brings us better shooting from beyond the arc. So I think that that's something that we'll probably see when campaign comes back, and and when Landry Shamit's you know if he's back, I think Holiday will still be in the rotation. He's going to cut into both of those guys' minutes, the minutes for. Cameron Payne in an effort to assist him coming back to get so he's full strength by the playoffs and he'll cut into Shamit's minutes because Shamit sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when Holiday came in tonight, I really thought the energy that was great, right? He seemed like he was always on like the positive side of a bad play, even like the foul. Like he had that block on the alley oop that was a really nice alley oop block, but it led to mm-hmm. a foul. But I didn't care. I love that. I love he was in good positioning. He didn't put himself up there in harm's way. Um, so you kind of, I'm, I was kind of thinking, I'm like, good energy. I'm like, I love this. And also maybe it was too much energy and he was like too deep in the lane and he would throw the ball away sometimes. Like those are things that he was doing down the line. So maybe campaign, like he can learn from campaign to slow things down offensively mm-hmm. so where you don't have to try too much, right? Just slow it down a little bit. Other than that, the energy is, it's awesome. It matches what McGee basically brings at the, Bingo. At the big man position. That, yeah, that, yeah, that's true. And, and Alfred Payton and McGee have had a good on-court you know, uh, uh, chemistry thus far this season, yeah. but in the little yeah. time that we've seen with, with, uh, and, and that's what happened tonight. I mean, it, it was literally like a lob to McGee from Payne or from Peyton and then a lob to McGee from Aaron holiday. But again, both of them and then by them, I mean, McGee and holiday have that energy. And, and that's what we like to see. I like to see that energy, uh, moving forward. So probably talking a little bit too long about a guy who only scored three points. So let's talk about a guy, uh, who had a fantastic night. Big Dick Booker. 
BDB, the big dick booker. 26 points tonight on 11 of 19 shooting. Uh, four assists as well. And he threw in also three total rebounds. Really cooked in that third quarter. I mean, when, when the Suns took that lead and ran it up to about 13 points, it was Devin Booker who played the entire third quarter, four for nine from the field, had 10 points in that quarter, uh, was hitting threes like mad. Uh, what what bothers me about Booker, though, is every time he's doing great, and I'll tweet something about how great he's doing, he goes 0 for 3 right after. <laughs> yes, so I'm just does. I'm committing to not talking about how great Devin Booker is during the game, yeah. uh, simply because I know that I'm the jinx, and I'm the reason that he'll throw up an 0 for 3 spat right after <laughs> that. When he could have gone for 20 points in a quarter, he only with 10. I know it's my fault. I'm sorry. Yeah, and uh, if he if he never went zero for three though, he would have like the Clay uh, Clay Thompson like thirty six point like quarters. You know what I mean? So that he has to be cut off somewhere, right? There has to be kind of a balance. But like even tonight, like in the first quarter, he took over. He had a thirteen. Oh, sorry, thirteen of the first twenty two points for the Suns. Yeah, we needed then, those two. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. And him and Mikhail were kind of trading little jabs back and forth offensively in the third quarter, which I think they scored nine total buckets out of whatever the Suns made in that quarter so that's me that, those are my stats those are half-ass lazy stats right there half-ass <laughs> internet research yeah. by matthew Thir- 13 buckets maybe i don't know <laughs> who knows <laughs> but yeah they, he was and he was also a guy that was really down there in the paint because even ta struggled tonight to grab the boards to really put himself in position to really kind of follow to follow back a little bit like where offensively where he would get drug out to the three-point line he had the guard the guard and he would just basically put his hand up and he was a little slow getting it back to help defensively to grab the rebound booker was always down there i feel like booker was down there trying to be aggressive and he had the alley-oop towards the end of the game but he was always down there trying to grab the ball away from people kind of like what chris paul does right whenever uh, crunch time comes like chris paul mm-hmm. end up just grabbing the ball away from somebody like no, no no hold on we forgot to score on the other end let me just grab it ball back yeah so booker was Oops, my- <laughs> booker, yeah yeah booker was doing a lot of that and i I think that's just like him just knowing this, he had to take it up another level really to get this win tonight. And that's why he was down there doing the dirt and grime, you know, the well, grimy and, stuff. And one thing that I noticed in that fourth quarter in that last five minutes was there, there was a, a play where Luke Kennard was on the weak side and Devin Booker for his entire career, you and I have complained about it, how whenever he's on the weak side defender, how he always just falls into the paint and he leaves a wide open shooter. Yeah. And one thing that he's done is he hasn't fallen so far in the paint to where when that ball whipped around, it was in Luke Kennard's hand. You know, he wanted to shoot it. You know, Luke Kennard tonight had himself a little bit of a night. He ended uh, with a total of 11 points, four of eight shooting, including three of four from deep. But Devin That's Booker, it. yeah, well, it felt yeah, like I more because, it, yeah. Well, it's because, I mean, yeah. in the fourth quarter, so he had 11 total points. But his fourth quarter alone, uh, Luke Kennard had eight of those points. So and okay. two for two from deep. But it was Booker's weak side defense on that play that negated his shot. He had to pass out of it. And I was like, oh, my God, finally, Devin Booker's playing weak side defense to the point where his closeouts are effective enough to negate the shooter from hitting us with a dagger three. Because it's happened time and time again throughout his career where, you know, I don't know why he gravitates towards the paint. It's not like he's going down there and getting a ton of rebounds. Stay on your man on the outside. And he did that tonight. And it's one thing that I actually noticed and, uh, you know, shout out to the Jamsters, you know, Gordon green says it's the curse of Voida. Uh, and Fletcher Cox says, John, take a lap. Terrible. Take a lap. It's my fault. Jamsters. (laughs) That I'm sorry. All right. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop, uh, I'll stop 
tweeting about Devin Booker when he's on hot streaks. Okay, he's a complete Fair player, enough. right? Booker is like basically is. Ne- next year he'll roll out into the season. I'm not trying to go too far ahead, but he'll be like at his peak. I feel like next year that's gonna be Devin Booker in his prime. Like he is just basically you can count on everything from him right now. Like yep. just defensively, offensively, special teams, everything. And he and that's what's happening with Booker's. He's hitting that part of his career where he's entering his prime. He's not in his prime yet. How old is he right now? Twenty five years 25. old. If I remember. Yeah. yeah so, so. Are typically, I'll look it up. Uh, he right. is twenty five. Uh, he turns twenty six in October. Slow. So again, it's typically about twenty seven, twenty eight years old when you hit your prime. And what what mm-hmm. make what makes that happen? What what gets you to your prime? Well, one the ability to know how to score to be an efficient score, but it's when the cerebral part of the game starts to really take over to where the game slows down because you've seen a lot, you've experienced a lot and you can anticipate things. And you take the fact that for the past two seasons, Devin Booker has been playing along with Chris Paul, one of the most cerebral players in the history of the game. And you know that he's a smarter player because of it. So you take that together and then yes, athletically, that's when everything kind of comes together. He's at the peak of his athletic prowess, and he, now he understands the game. That's what's so tough for so many players is they hit that point of their career where they understand the game holistically, but their body can no longer keep up to it. And that's when the decline starts to happen. But we're on the we're still on the upswing with Devin Booker. He's getting smarter and smarter every day, and you're seeing it on both ends of the floor. You're seeing it in the way that he's attacking on offense, but also attacking on defense, knowing what the the opposition is trying to do and trying to t- you know they. They don't take advantage of him like they used to, you know. So that's what we mean as he's entering his prime. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, correct, correct on all about on, on on all accounts. Um, what else did I want to talk about? Uh, Chris Paul. I saw this stat during the game: assist to score, Chris Paul to Devin Booker for 121 fee, uh, field goals made. Whoa! Somebody has their phone on. <laughs> The middle of oh, the broadcast. A rude fine. Oh my god, jeez, that was awkward. Uh, but Devin Booker scoring on 121 field goals from Chris Paul is second in the league. DeAndre Ayton on 114 is third in the league, and Mikael Bridges on 104 is fourth in the league. How fucking great is Chris Paul, man? <laughs> that is awesome. I thought you were going to ask me who is number one. Who is number in one the league? Oh, mm. uh, I don't know. I was hoping you. Had- Oh, you know, I thought you had like the list in front of you. No. Okay, well, never mind. <laughs> well, and well, again, I, I well, and, and you know, as we transition from talking about Devin Booker and we start talking about uh, the point guard. The point guard. You know, I think that the if if you were to ask, well, you know, why is Chris Paul currently ahead of Devin Booker in in MVP conversations? Very. Uh, very slight MVP conversations, if if I must say so myself. Uh, it's because of the way it, it's those stats that I read right there. It's Chris Paul's plus minus in clutch time. It's all these little things that he does. It's his, you know, leading the league in assists. Uh, you know, tops in the league in steals. You know, he has more of the statistical domination that uh, or the, over Devin Booker. You know, Booker's averaging twenty five point five points a game. That's great. He's a fantastic scorer. That's great. But when you look into some of the statistics, some of the things that really turn on the voters, if you will, 
it's Chris Paul who does that. Uh, unfortunately, I think that they're both so good they cannibalize each other, and ultimately neither will get the MVP. But I definitely think that CP3, you know, because of points like this, he really needs to start to rise in those minutes or, or in those mentions when it comes to MVP. Yeah, honestly, I think it has a lot to do with just Chris Paul's size, too, because he is smaller. I think Bill Simmons talks about that a lot, too, where like the smaller guys, you know, don't really get the attention that they really deserve. I mean, John Morant, you know, amazing year. I mean, if the, he plays if, big, though, he plays big. And if the Grizzlies were in the East, they'd be the first team in the East. I mean, a lot of these teams in the out West would be the number one seed out East. But I feel like just the smaller guys don't really get the nod anymore. I mean, if it's Embiid, it's Jokic. Um, whoever the hell's out there, I don't care. Uh, whoever else is in the MVP leading, but like I'm, I'm just saying that Embiid himself, like great year and everything, right? And Jokic a great year, but those are gonna be like the two top dudes again. And what Chris Paul is doing is great, and what Devin Booker has to be recognized for too is just adjusting his game to what Chris Paul brought to the Suns. And Chris Paul had adjust a lot to what the Suns were doing here and getting all these young guys involved. I think just that, just how he can like distribute and make Biombo and McGee like basically average eight numbers. That's MVP status right there. I don't think they, those two can't really go anywhere else and have those kind of games like Chris Paul is, is dealing the ball to those guys. So that's one thing that really has to stand out because the Suns will have the number one also. They will have the number one seed mm-hmm. overall in the NBA by the end of the season. So it'll just be strange to me if Chris Paul isn't at least a top three candidate this year between those two because Jokic and Embiid will be there because they're big men and they do these crazy things that seven that seven footers should never be able to do on the court. Yeah. And that's why they're going to be the top two again. And it kind of sucks because I'd rather have John Morant and Chris Paul up there with these guys, but I don't think it's going to be any anything close to that. Well, and Daniel Thompson says Curry gets attention, LOL, Lissy. You know, and he did get attention earlier in the year, but he's definitely fallen off that yeah, top he's list. he's 6'6". Yeah. <laughs> is he really? No. <laughs> yeah, way. yeah, Curry. Yeah, he is. Steph Curry's not 6'6". Right, you look I'm it up while, while I respond yeah, to what you said. Yeah. You know, you look at all the advanced stats and the advanced analytics, and those, those big men are going to dominate, uh, especially given – who the big men are right now in the league because of their size and because of their versatility, because of what they can execute. So it's, it's really kind of a different era for big men. And obviously big men will always dominate. Yeah. How tall is he? Like six, four, six, three. It says he's six, two. There is no <laughs> way he's six, two. Steph Curry is like six, two, man. I can totally see that, man. I swear. Six, two, six, three. I can definitely and... see that. But, but again, he's fallen off the MVP conversation because he went through a massive drought. You know, the only yeah. way an MVP who's a guard is going to be mentioned, gone are the days of the Steve Nash winning MVPs when, again, and I've had this conversation before, but it's worth merit and bringing it up. It's what defines an MVP to you. Is it the best player award? Is it uh, the guy who's the most valuable in the league award or the guy who's most valuable to his team award? In my opinion, most valuable to the team is Chris Paul. This guy's played every game. The team is the best team in the league. They dominate when it's the most important moments of the game. It, Chris Paul is unbelievable. Jokic is, is doing a fantastic job propping that team on his back with two his number two and number three option gone. Joel Embiid's a freak, and he's a fantastic basketball player. So if you want to go best player in the league this season, I think it's Joel Embiid. But if the most valuable player is defined as the player who's most valuable to their team's success, and you look at the most successful team, it's Chris Paul. And that's just kind of my opinion on it. And again, 
it doesn't matter because all I want is the fucking finals MVP. I know, so, I know. So, so, so we, I hear, I hear you, Jamsters. Yeah. You know, but it's still a conversation that we're going to have. We have a podcast, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about real quick before we hand out the Jamsters, uh, and you know I'm going to do this, Matthew, because it's what I always do. Uh, you know I like to talk about unis. What do you think of the Clippers' light blue jerseys tonight? Great. I actually kind of liked it. Uh, it kind of looked like the Nuggets' old uniforms, but uh, anything is better than what they wear with the white. So I'm all for what they wore tonight, honestly. I absolutely loved them. I thought it was great because the, the way that they had the Clippers kind of uh, font across the chest, that's that old mm-hmm. Clippers look. You know, even Chris Paul used to wear those. Uh, they had the baby blues, and I just I thought it was just a good-looking jersey overall. I think Dave King on uh, uh, from the Solar Panel podcast, he was at the game, and, you know, he, he made a comment kind of at the front end of the game. He's like, you know, this seems clearly going to lose because of their ugly jerseys, right? You know, and I was like, in my head, I was just like, I didn't tweet back. I was just like, damn, no. Those are those are throwbacks? Jerseys. Like, those are actually from Chris Paul days or what? I know no, they used to have, like, the baby the baby blue or whatever, but. No, they're, they they are kind of. They're their city edition jerseys, so it kind of okay. has a little throwback. Uh, the font is actually a, a way back throwback, I think, to when they were the San Diego Clippers uh, on the number. So I just think it looked nice. It was a lot cleaner, as you mentioned, than anything that they have. Because uh, their current uniforms are garbage. So again, I just whenever we see kind of cool little uniforms, I, I definitely like to talk about that. So uh, next up, Jam Star of the Game. All right, Jamsters, a reminder to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you're watching along live, hit that thumbs up button. It ain't that hard. If you're watching on your phone, you just click. If you're on your computer, you just click. And just give us a like. We appreciate it. It helps with the algorithms. Let everybody know we're the best post-game podcast on Planet Orange. And that's right here on the Sun's Jam Session Podcast. Uh, Matthew, I went first last game. How oh, about yeah. you? Yes, I did. Yeah, I wasn't here last game, so you went oh. first. I mean, last sure. time we were together, okay. I went first. Who's your jam star of the game? It's gonna be DeAndre. No, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna go Devin Booker. Um... Wow, this is now that I think about it, this is two consecutive. Ga- uh, games where I haven't even done the eight and watch. Wow. <sighs> did we not last time either? Maybe I I, I did it with trade Sun- and everything was in the way. Yeah, that's hmm. true. Well, it's fine. Sun- doesn't Sun's really deserve it anyways. Yeah, I don't think he does either. With Suns Geek and Flex, I don't think I did it. But anyways, continue. No, it's going to be Booker. He's definitely my uh, jam star of the game. Um, has a lot to do with just him being all over the place. The way he just he can just end up in spots on the floor where you never really seen him before tonight when he knows he needs the extra boost to his team to actually give his team a boost. That's what he was tonight. And I think it was more than just the big shots and the alley-oop at the end. He did everything he needed to do to get the win tonight. Yeah, you see a lot of the Jamsters giving it to Mikhail Bridges, the Warden, and to the point guard, Chris Paul. And you don't know I what think... you're talking about, guys. Yeah, yes. God. What are you even hey, watching? You don't even know. <laughs> uh Ty, Ty Lu, coach of the year with a losing record. <laughs> bah, yeah. ha, ha, ha. T-Mac is clueless. That's a great comment from uh Scheinbach. Uh Booker and Bridges, third quarter jam star. You know, th- there's a lot, but I- I'm actually gonna go with you on this one. I definitely think it was Devin Booker, and here's kind of um my my reason for that. It's a big game, it's a national TV game, and I just feel that Devin Booker really did a great job of representing himself well to a national audience. Once again, you know, he, he came out and he propped this team on his shoulders through the first quarter. As you mentioned, 13 of the sun's first 22 points, the third quarter, he's what led 
the charge and uh, pushed this team over the top to a 13 point lead. The bench came in, blows it, and then he comes in. And granted, it was definitely Chris Paul who, in those last five minutes, like the ninja that he is, dissected the uh, the opposing team without them even realizing what was going on. But I feel like de- you're not there because uh, unless Devin Booker. So you know, again, no one's wrong here. I think that we're all correct. Uh, next team that we have, the last game before we play uh, the All-Star game, which obviously the Phoenix Suns will have a lot of skin in that game. Uh, Suns versus the Rockets tomorrow. What do you think about this one, Matthew? Let's get it over with. Let's get this break going. I can't wait for the second half of the season. That's not really the second half, but I want to get this game over with. This will be a good game for rest, and then we get all our guys a good week off. Yes. It's going to be perfect. It's well needed. Uh, let's just finish this off. I think this is like a 40, 30 point win tomorrow. I night. hope so. You know, the, the one fear you obviously have to this is it going into this is the psychological factor. You're playing the worst team in the Western Conference, and mm-hmm. they don't have any representation in the All Star game. So for them, they could look at it as this is their All Star game. This is the one thing they can go out and try to, you know, before the All Star break, uh, Beat the best team in the league. That's the goal that they're coming in there with. You know, conversely, the Suns are on the second night of a back-to-back, which I looked up. They're currently six and two on the second night of a back-to-back, but they give up the most amount of points that they uh, they have in any stretch of days off. They give up 111.1 points in back-to-back or on the second game of a back-to-back. So it's one thing we have to be aware of. This is a team in the Houston Rockets that takes the uh, fifth most amount of threes and makes the eighth most amount of threes in the league, albeit they are the 20th when it comes to three-point percentage overall at 34.4%. So they're a team that is definitely going to be chucking it from deep. And if they get a little bit of confidence going and the Suns have tired legs, potentially, they're a team that could use this as an opportunity to stay focused while the Suns are focusing on getting some rest or preparing for the all-star festivity. So uh, obviously I hope that we just blow them out like we should. Uh, If the Suns win this game, it'll be their seventh consecutive win over the Houston Rockets. Uh, You can tell I've done a lot of research on this because somebody's writing the recap and we'll be doing the, the, uh, or the, I'm writing the preview and I'll be writing the recap. This is a lot of Rockets talk right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I started writing the article earlier today and I was just like, Oh damn. So, but that's the why. So uh, Fabio in the chat, Eric Gordon revenge game. We've got to watch out there. So, uh, but Suns win. No big deal. Yeah. Sound, and sound also, good? yeah, yeah. Jalen Green, though, is in the, he's in the dunk contest. And the oh, there is some representation. They got, yeah, they have some skills challenge dudes. Evan Mobley. Okay. Well, I got to change thing. that. I'm glad know. you said something because I wouldn't have even taken the time to figure that out. But does that, that count, though? You're not just Yeah, that does. Just, like, no, that does. So, okay. Some people have to go. You know, people are participating in the All Star festivities. So yeah. uh, let's see. What are we going to do next? Oh, this one. Thoughts. Brains. All right, a couple things I want to talk on about our thoughts. Uh, first, Wolves Twitter. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I delved into Timberwolves Twitter accidentally yesterday. Uh, Agent Warjanowski tweeted out, you know, something to the effect that Pat Bev uh, has been extended for a, another season with the Minnesota Wimber, Minnesota Timberwolves for $13 million a year. So I just wrote, you know, once I saw that, I just wrote real quick, what a waste of money. Man, did I piss off some Wolves fans, man. (laughs) (laughs) Pat Bev's a piece of shit. Let's just start with that. And, you know, I I get it, Wolves. You you don't have a lot to cling on to. Maybe he's a great locker room guy, but he is a 
massive piece of shit. Uh, I got, you know, the, the typical things like, oh, they just give a blue check mark to anybody these days. And somebody said, like, uh, nobody likes your podcast. And then, like, 100 people like that. <laughs> Jeez, that happened. I, I totally miss all of that. But yeah, that's what happens to Pat Bev. You love him or you hate him, right? If you have him on your team, you love the dude, you'll defend him. But then when you play against him and he pushes Chris Paul and almost gives him whiplash and you hate him. Um, I. <laughs> I don't know how you guys get into that stuff, but I'm honestly afraid. Did they wrote, really watch the podcast? No, they, they don't do. watch they, the podcast. They, they just they clicked on my profile real quick, saw I was a podcaster, then said something nasty. Okay. I had people call me a loser, all this stuff. And again, like I just wrote my comment. I didn't comment on anybody else's thing. I just left it be. But you know, you go through your notifications and you're yeah. like, let's just see what people are saying. You're like, wow, I really struck a nerve with these Minnesotians. So you don't find that fun though to actually have people attack you and then no, I think it's I think it's kind oh. of fun because it's Twitter. It's not real. Like I don't care, okay. but I just thought it was right. fun. Yeah, Nicholas Tan, Nikki Tan, one of our old uh, oldest elite jamsters. Void has spoke the truth, and they couldn't handle that shit. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of fu- funny. So um, another thing I want to talk about real quick: uh, Jalen Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a start tonight in Indy. He put up 14.5 and uh, points and 7.5 rebounds in two games off of the bench for the Indiana yeah. Pacers. So, you know, they go, you know what? Uh, let's go ahead and give him a start. You know, I feel that he's earned a start. Uh, we want to see obviously what he is as an asset. He, he 17 minutes tonight, four for nine from the field, three for five from deep, had seven rebounds and 11 points, uh, had six personal fouls. And you know why? Because his first start with the Indiana Pacers, oh, who did he draw? 50, on defense? 50 fucking points. <laughs> a fucking 50 burger right now. from Giannis, dude. Oh, my God. You know, it's oh. like it was building up to something. I'm like, wait, six fouls, only 17 minutes? What happened? I scroll down. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis. Oh, there's a taste of it. You know, it's it's crazy because I was watching some of Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Smith, and, of course, they – same draft and they look good together like Jalen Smith it's weird when the Suns let it go of a player like this in the past it would be like oh they'll they'll be overseas or something or they'll be in the G League or they, they'll play a couple minutes here or there but instant impact I know this team is probably in tank mode with the Pacers but he just he's such a good asset I feel like a team to pick up and I think who knows if he'll be on the team next year who knows if he gets moved again but yeah. him and Halliburton like he's a he's a good big guy to be with Halliburton man I just I'm really interested to see how that works out if they stay put there in Indiana is he a guy whose career you are monitoring and rooting for now yeah but it's also kind of scary too because you think about the Suns future if they don't win anything Jalen Smith he's not going to be an all-star but if he's a good decent role player or even if he's starting at the center position like it's it's kind of crazy and he's he's pretty impactful right when he has that confidence like we saw it here so it might turn into something but i know what the suns did you had to move him because you need to win a championship now but i'm definitely gonna root for this dude i really am i'm a big jen smith fan yeah i am too and you know again indiana's using him as a four and i think that that's where he's most effective and it'll be interesting seeing how his career progresses uh I hope it doesn't get to the point in like two or three years from now. We're like, well, you see, we should have kept him because we don't know what's going to happen after this year. Because again, he's going to have the ability to kind of go wherever he wants and do what he wants and get paid, you know, market value for what the market thinks that he's worth. But again, the circumstances the Phoenix Suns were in, this isn't a team that's in the, in the mode of developing anybody. 
we're just not. We're in win now mode. And it reminds me of all those years ago with the seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns when we were drafting players like Rajon Rondo and Lou Dang, and we're just shipping them out, not knowing what they were because we're like, hey, we're in win now mode. We don't need these assets. And ultimately we did. Like imagine Lou Dang in his younger years playing for the seven seconds or less Suns teams. He's exactly what we need in the playoffs. Just another wing defender. Uh, but, you know, Mike D'Antoni's like, I play seven players and I watch Steve Nash die before, you know, we hit the finals, <laughs> you know? So the philosophy of the team back there was a lot different than the philosophy of the team is now where we gave Jalen Smith a shot, obviously due to injuries and COVID and everything this season, he was a valuable enough asset, but we're in win now mode. We're not, we don't have the time to do what Indiana's doing to go, you know what, let's just try starting him a little bit with Halliburton, seeing what we got. Cause we're not trying to win anything. We're trying to see if we can progress his, his stock and maybe try to get him, you know, they're buying into him. Like, Hey, Jalen, you stay here where you're going to get some starts, especially if you're productive. So, you know, again, watching from afar, seeing how he's doing. Uh, and Hitman X says, like... Yeah, I was just going to pull that up. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Can't he just resign with Phoenix next year? Yes, he potentially can. So, yeah. again, we yeah. don't know what the future may hold. Uh, but obviously, you know, guarding Giannis tonight, giving up a 50-burger, brings me to the NBA.com defensive player ladder as of today. Currently, Giannis Antetokounmpo is the top player in their defensive player ladder. But moving up, number two, Mikhail Bridges. Getting some defensive player he's number of the two year love. Overall. He's number two overall. And Giannis is number one. Okay. Well, that's interesting because you would think, too, if, if Aiden played a full season so far, I feel like Aiden would be in, like, the top three or top completely, four, right? Completely agree. Mm. Yeah. So we'll oh, see that's how this. Well, good job, Mikhail. Keep again, up the good getting, work, buddy. That's where we're getting some of that national pub. Everybody loves Mikhail Bridges. A lot of people don't like Chris Paul because they've rubbed him the wrong way, and I get it. He's not to Pat Bev's level in any way, shape, or form because he's not an asshole. But a lot of people, he's rubbed the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Mikel Bridges, everybody loves. He's the most memeable son there is. So, he uh, is. And, and, but again, number one overall, Giannis. And did you hear my story of meeting Giannis? Did you listen? To I the did. Last yeah, yeah, I actually watched it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was really, really, ha- really happy for you, man. That's crazy. Yeah. You always, you're always in the right situations, right? You just you, you meet these players all the time. I feel like, and I always thank them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like my, that's cool. It's cute. He was with his family and stuff. Yeah, it was like the world. Out. It's like, yeah. dude, how I can have this is the guy who fucking beat the Suns. Like, I can't, I can't ever no? hate this. No, no, he was outside, stand outside the airport. I sent oh. you a picture. Yeah, I know. I saw, but like, how big, like, freaking just a monster? Or what? When he he's first just saw, tall. Him? he's slender, but he's really tall, man. Broad shoulders. I mean, he's just, and then when he reaches his hand out to give you a fist pump, it's just like two of your hands, and you're like. You and I are not the same species, dude. Like, how is this possible that we're both human beings? Because you are just massive. So, yeah. anyways, I think on that note, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this version of the Suns Jam Session podcast. Ooh, Nikki Tan. What happens if Voida meets Pat Bev? I don't say anything to him. I just walk on by. There's some guys. It's like you know when you see Giannis, when you see Jerry Colangelo, Paul Westfall. Grant Hill, I saw one time. When I see these guys and I have respect for them, I'm going to go up and, tr- and say something just because I'd rather tell the story of the time I said something to them versus the time I saw them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Pat Bev, I would just be like, dude, I'm not even saying anything to that guy. I actually talked to Pat Bev on the phone. I worked for Charles Schwab, and he had to call in to verify his account. So I talked to him on the phone, and that was it. Did, did you really? Yeah, yeah. His uh, broker <laughs> was on the phone, but we needed to speak to Pat Bev 
to approve his uh, transfer. I think it was about five hundred grand or something like that. So. And what happened? Did you end up having? A, did he get end up getting on the phone, or was he just a dick? Yeah, yeah, it? he was on the phone. I had to ask him questions, and he answered them right. He passed, and then his broker was like, "That was the first test you ever passed in your life, right, Pat?" And they started laughing. I'm like, That's <laughs> "There you go. Must have a good relationship." Like a Pat, Pat Bev story from from Lissy. Love it. Gotta love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, on that note, Jamsters, again, we appreciate you hanging out and enjoying the Suns Jam Session podcast. We'll be live after the Houston Rockets game tomorrow night. Uh, until then, please subscribe, rate, and review. You can follow the show at Suns Jam on Twitter. You can follow me at Darth Voida. You can follow Matthew. Matthew, let's see. And you can read our writings on brightsideofthesun.com. I will be doing the game preview and the game recap tomorrow for Bright Side of the Sun. Uh, until then, everybody, have a fantastic evening, and we will shout out to you tomorrow. Go home and love your family.